Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Open your Bibles to Psalm 62. In case you aren't aware, um, during the summer months, we are going to do Kingdom Kids every other week, so... Um, half the weeks they'll be out with Kingdom Kids, and half they'll be um, in here getting to be in an entire worship service and see what um, us grown-ups do um, during church. Um, we're doing that firstly so that they can be in um, King, so that they can be here, but also so that our workers who serve so faithfully can have a little break during the summer. Um, and so, if you um, see us not dismiss kids, that that means that's a Sunday that we're not doing Kingdom Kids. Um, we're in the Book of Psalms this summer. Um, We're not going in any particular order. I'm just going to be doing various psalms throughout the summer. Um, The Psalms is the favorite book of many people. Um, They they usually say you can can find every human emotion within the book of Psalms. Every every struggle, every emotion that you could possibly go through is in the book of Psalms. And so it's a great um, help to um, many of us as we walk through life. Um, Psalm 62 is where we will be today. Jesus was on trial before Pontius Pilate, um, before he died. John 19, verse 9 through 11 says of him um, that Pilate entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus did not answer back to those who were, who were accusing him. He stood confidently, not fearful of any of his opponents. He stood there solid as a rock. How did he do that? How do you do that? How do you face down the people who literally want to kill you and not even fret? Now, we might say it's because Jesus was God, so what's he got to fear? But remember, he was also 100% man. He was um, 100% God, 100% man, both at the same time. So he experienced all the emotions that you and I do. Um, We we see in the Gospels, he gets tired, he gets hungry, he gets thirsty, um, all of those things. The nails on the cross were going to hurt just as much as it would any of us. Even though he knew he would rise again, he still was going to experience the pain and rejection of the cross, which would be a dreadful experience. Not just the physical pain, but also it was the first time for, in all of eternity that the Son of God would not have perfect fellowship with his Father. The pure despair of that unique moment in the span of history is unmatched to anything any of us have ever experienced. How did Jesus stand confidently without fear, not needing to defend himself, not needing to speak for himself, 
and how can you and I do that as well? Well, I think Psalm 62 is very helpful there. So Psalm 62, let's read it. For God, I'm sorry, let me start up at the little subscript. I'm trying to make sure that I read the subscript because they are part of the psalm. To the choir master, according to the Jeduthun, a psalm of David. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. The, one, the only plan to thrust, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. David says, wait in silence. Wait in silence. Many times in Scripture, waiting is, is the same idea as trusting. It's trusting. In times when God hasn't answered us yet, we wait trusting that he will. It's not waiting like, um, you know, if I had a friend that, you know, wasn't very good at keeping his word. And, um, you know, we were supposed to have lunch. And I got to the restaurant and I've been there 20 minutes and he's not there yet. And I'm waiting for him, hoping he's going to show up. That's not the waiting that we're talking about in Scripture. Um, it's waiting like, like, like waiting on the sun to rise. And so if I wake up at four in the morning in bed and um, I am awake and I'm trying to go back to sleep, I'm often thinking, I got to get back to sleep because the sun rays are about to come through that window. And when that happens, this is over. Um, I, I know the sun's coming up. I'm, I'm waiting on it. Waiting on the Lord is confidently trusting he's going to come through for you. It is a silent confidence in the Lord. No need to try to finagle your circumstances in your favor. No need to, to have a backup plan if something doesn't work. No need to fret. God is in control, and he's got me in all of this. I can rest and trust in him. That is the demeanor we pray for in our day-to-day -day life, in good or bad. I, 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 I pray that's my demeanor. How can that be my life? Because some of you, um, some of you have been told, maybe by some preacher on TV, that you've just got to have enough faith. That's how you can do it. Like, like faith is like energy in a battery, and you're the battery, and you just got to charge up your faith enough, and that'll give you the strength to get through it. You'll have the power to, you know, it's like, you know, jumping your car. You're going to put the cables on. You just got to wait for it to charge up, and then it's going to start. You just got to close your eyes and tense up and just 
willpower enough faith into your heart. That, that's how maybe you've understood it. But that's not it. It's not the power of your that your it's not the power of our faith that gives us strength. It's the object of our faith. It's not how much faith we have, it's what we have our faith in. If you just have a general faith, like, oh, I'm just gonna get through my circumstances, just I'm just gonna have faith. You you have nothing your faith's not in anything there. But if you if your faith is in the um, in in the strong sovereign God of glory, that, that's what you're aiming for. You want yourself, you want your faith to be strengthened in who you have faith in. And verse 2 gives us who that is. God alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Our faith, it's not about how much faith we have. It's about who is our faith in. And our faith is in God, who is our rock, our salvation, our fortress. You must aim to have God as all three of these in your life. Your salvation, first of all, he has secured your eternal fate in the cross of Christ. He has ransomed you from your sins and given you the eternal guarantee of eternal life, and you can rest on that. There's a hymn that I just, um, I, I just became aware of, um, a hymn that I just became aware of. I don't think I've ever heard it sung. Um, it's hymn number two. If you want to open up your hymnal and see it, it's, I mean, it's literally the second page. Um, but, but I love the first verse of this, just, just talking about how God is our salvation. It's praise my soul, the king of heaven. Listen to the lyrics. Praise my soul, the king of heaven. To his feet thy tribute bring, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Evermore his praises sing, alleluia, alleluia. Praise the everlasting king. That's it. We're ransomed. We're healed we're restored, we're forgiven, all by the king of heaven. That's the salvation we have, and that's what our, our faith is in. Not in ourselves, but in the salvation that God has given us. He is our salvation. He's also our rock, our rock. He is like the rock in the middle of the water, and, and you hold on to it when the wind and the waves come. That's what it is. You hold to, the, you hold to him in the midst of great trial. You do not let go. He is the rock that keeps you above the waters. He is an anchor that keeps you secure. He's not going anywhere. So as long as you're tied to him, you're not going anywhere, no matter what hits you. It's Spurgeon who says, um, I've, learned to, uh, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me into the rock of ages. Uh, the, the, the wave may be hard, but you want it to throw you into the rock of ages, not away from it. And finally, he's our fortress. He's our salvation, our rock, and our fortress. He's the fortress you hide in to be protected from the rain and to be protected from your enemy's armies. He gives you a spiritual roof over your head and your shelter in times of storm. You have a silent confidence in God. To, to have that silent confidence, you must have him as all, of, all three of these things in your life. He is both your eternal savior and your daily protector. When this is the case, the passage says you will not be shaken. You will not be shaken. But we know there will come moments in our life that try to shake us, won't there? And, and David talks about that in verses 3 and 4, moments that come that try to shake us. That they, He says that um, they're, they attack and they batter me. That they attack me, they, they, they batter me, something like, you know, just cut me all to pieces. 
There are moments in life when people and circumstances batter you up. It, it might be circumstances. It might be you're struggling financially. You're not sure how you're going to make it. You finally get all your bills paid off with just a little left in your bank account, and then the fuel pump in your car goes out, and it's $300 to fix. You don't know where you're going to get that money. It's a circumstance like that. It might be you, you lose your job for no reason. A budget cuts in the company, and people who've been there less time than you get to stay, but you get, you, you get the ax. You, you don't know why. Those circumstances try to shake you. It might be that you have health problems come up, and just when you're getting better, something else happens. You ever had one of those seasons where uh, multiple bad things happen to you all at once? And I, I've had those myself. And, and after about seven different things hit you, you just want to like stand in the field and scream. Like it, it's just, when is it going to let up? Those moments come that try to shake us. It might be people that try to shake you. Notice what David says, verse 4. They, speaking of people, they plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. That last little line is interesting, isn't it? They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. <laughs> kind of sounds like the South, doesn't it? To your face, girl, I love that dress. It's so colorful. Where'd you get it? In the car on the way home, that dress made her look so fat. What is she thinking wearing something like that out in public? Blessed with their mouth, inwardly they curse. The entire goal of people that try to shake you is to bring other people down. They are pe there are people like this everywhere. They especially like to congregate on Twitter. I don't have a Twitter. I used to. Uh, I used to have a Twitter. I got off of there because it's just nasty. It's just a, a cesspool of, of just angry people um, mocking each other. They have one goal, criticize, discourage, and harm people. We, we teach kids that phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But none of us really believe that, do we? I've been hurt a lot more in my life by words than I have by sticks and stones. You can throw a rock and hit me in the chest, and I'll probably get over it pretty easily. But you say something unkind to me, and I'm thinking about it for a week. And I'm walking around the house pouting. I can't believe that person said that about me. People can harm us in great ways without even touching us. It takes very little. As a pastor, um, I hate when I have to do this, but sometimes I have to have hard conversations with people, and sometimes they don't like those hard conversations, and so they um, respond with very harmful things that they say to me. And, um, you know, sometimes they just, sometimes they're not connected to our church, and I have those conversations outside of our church. Sometimes it's people that go to our church, and then they leave our church after that. It's happened once or twice, but um, that they leave, and I don't see them again. And so literally, I, I guess this is tied into my anxiety. Every time I go to Walmart... Like, I have this thought when I'm getting out of my car, oh, I hope that person's not here. Because, like, what do I do? Do I, do I just do the southern small talk? Hey, how you been, man? Even though the last conversation we had was very nasty, do I just avoid them and pretend like I didn't see them? Do I, like, you know, put my hat and my sunglasses on so hopefully they don't recognize me? Like, what do I do? That's the harm people can have just with their words. So what do you do when those things try to shake your silent confidence in God. How do you fight? Verses 5 through 8, David kind of gives a, a, a simple strategy for it, if you will. Um, first of all, verses 5 and 6, you remind yourself 
the truth you believe. What does he say? Well, if you notice, if you were paying attention as we read, verses 5 and 6 are almost word for word, verses 1 and 2. All right, so understand this. David believes verses 1 and 2, but verses 3 and 4 come to him. So in order to fight those things that are coming his way, he first reminds himself of what he said in verses 1 and 2. God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock, my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. There's a couple word difference, but it's the same thing that he says. You you have to remind yourself of the truth you believe when those things come. We forget things so easily. We all easily have spiritual amnesia. It takes very little for us to forget truths we have believed our entire life and act like they're not true. It takes very little to convince us God's not in control of our life takes very little one little bitty bad day and we're doubting god but secondly verse seven you have to worship you have to worship you have to first remind yourself what you believe secondly you have to worship on god rests my salvation and my glory my mighty rock my refuge is god where do i get that he's worshiping there well it's very similar to verses two and five um, that what he's saying there but it actually goes up a level he, is, he says he's my glory, my mighty rock. It's like David is exalting God in what he's saying. He's exalting him, he's glorifying him, he's worshiping. To overcome the shaking of your silent confidence, you must worship. You must worship. You must worship both privately and corporately. You must do both. You need to worship privately and actually worship, not just say you are. You know, it's that stereotype that you hear of... Um, you know, I worship God when I'm in the deer stand. All right, you can worship God in the deer stand. You can. But what you might mean by that is I sit in the deer stand and enjoy being there, and so I call that worship. That's not worship. That's just enjoying being in, in the deer stand. No, worshiping is opening your mouth and exalting the Lord. It's sitting in that deer stand and saying, Lord, you are good. Your faithfulness is seen again this morning as the sun rises. Uh, I hear the squirrels and the birds singing your praises as they jump through the branches. My heart overflows with joy in the calmness of this morning. That's worship. That's worship. Worship is telling God how glorious he is. Why does he need me to do that? Why does God need me to tell him how awesome he is? Well, it's what you do to people you love. My, my wife knows I think she's beautiful without me telling her, but when I tell her, she really enjoys it, right? The same idea, same idea. You need to worship privately. You also need to worship corporately with other people. If it is other people that assail you and shake your confidence in God, you need other people to help you build your confidence back up. That's what the church is for. We gather Hebrews 10 says we gather to stir up one another and encourage one another to walk the Christian life together. We sing together that we might hear one another singing and be strengthened to keep going. When people assail us with their words, we feel like we're alone in the world. When we worship at church together, we realize we have other people in the race with us and we're not alone. We reject the idea that, that what we're doing right now is just about showing up and seeing people on a stage do a show. 
I've, I've told you many times, I promise you, there's a much better show than what Caleb and I and Sydney and Craig and, and everybody else, what we do up here. There's, you can go see a movie at AMC and get a better show than what we're doing right now. This isn't about a show. We, we show up to hear the preaching of the word and to sing in the community that we're in. That's the missing element in a lot of people's understanding of church. You could listen to this sermon that I'm preaching right now in your pajamas on Monday on YouTube. All right, you can. But God does something when people indwelt with his spirit are together in the same room, hearing the same sermon at the same time. When they're singing together in the same room. When they're talking before and after the service, God does something. You need this gathering more than you realize. So this is a small time. I don't know if there's anybody on Facebook Live right now, but this is a small time for me to address you if you're on Facebook Live. If you're homebound and you watch on Facebook Live, you're the people we do this for. But if you're watching on Facebook because you've gotten complacent and you've never gotten out of the COVID groove that you're in, I implore you, wake up and come back to church. You are disobeying the Lord by not being here, and you're robbing yourself of joy by not being here and bumping shoulders with other believers. You remind yourself of what you believe, you worship, and you, verse 8, you make yourself trust in God. You, you just got to um, make yourself do it. You, you, to battle the shaking of your silent confidence in God, you must make yourself trust in him at all times. Trust in him at all times. Oh, people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. We, we must make ourselves trust in God. And one of the big ways that we do this is through prayer. That's what he says. Pour out your heart before him. And I, I, I know what some of us are thinking when we hear that, though. Really? Prayer? Really? That's going to fix my problem? Come on. I need something more than prayer. Really? When, when there's some kind of big national tragedy like what's happened this week... Um, a lot of people will say our, our thoughts and prayers are with those people that had that tragedy. And then you'll have another group of people saying, stop telling us you're praying for us. Do something. Do something. Obviously, a lot of people who say our thoughts and prayers, um, maybe they said one prayer for them, but, but they're not really praying for them. They're, they're putting that out there for, for appearances. But also, don't believe for a second that praying is not doing something. In fact, what can I do for the people in Texas right now other than pray for them? I am four states away from them. People will say things like, I need something more than prayer. But often you don't. But often you don't. That's what the world has convinced you. What you need is to actually pray. You, you need to actually pray. So many people don't trust prayer because they prayed once and nothing happened, so they gave up on it. But that's not what he's telling you to do. Verse 8, pour out your heart before him. Pour out your heart before him. That takes longer than one time. I mean, there's not much water in this thing, but I didn't just pour that thing out right there. I took one little sip. D don't let that be your prayer life where you take one little sip and it doesn't work, so you give up on it. Knock this thing out. Pour out your heart before him. The world loves to convince us that we need something more explosively powerful than the simple things God has given us to go through the Christian life. 
Like the world, the devil loves nothing more than to convince the Christian that reading God's word and prayer and the local church are not enough to get you through the Christian life. But that's exactly what Jesus left his people. Read his word, seek him in prayer, pour out your heart before him, and gather with his people on a weekly basis. That's enough. That's what scripture says. When your silent confidence in God is shaken, you go before him and you pour out your heart before him. You say, Lord, I want to trust you. I want to hope in you. I know you're faithful, but circumstances and people are causing me to be shaken. Please help me. Please help me. And you keep pouring out your heart before him until your confidence in him is restored. There really is power in prayer to do that. It just takes patience. And prayer will get you to a place where you can do what verse 8 says, trust in him at all times. As I was studying for this sermon this morning, um, I, haven't been sleeping well the, I haven't been sleeping that well the past couple weeks. Um, I already have sleep apnea, but I've also got allergies, so when those two things are together, sleeping just doesn't happen very well. And I was just flat exhausted this morning. And I'm studying for this sermon, and I'm just trying to, trying to you know, pay attention and I got to this part of my sermon, this, this verse, and I just said, Lord, exhausted or best sleep in my life, trust in you at all times. I will do that. So give me the strength to preach today. Trust in him at all times. At all times. When you're rich and when you're poor, trust the Lord. When you're the healthiest of your life and when you're on your deathbed, trust the Lord. When your marriage is happy and when your marriage is on the rocks, trust the Lord. When you're confident and when you're anxious, trust the Lord. When your life is good and when your life is bad, trust the Lord. When you are on vacation and when you're in the most difficult season of work during the year, trust the Lord. When the harvest is plentiful and when we're in a severe drought, trust the Lord. When gas prices are at an all-time high and when they go low again, trust the Lord. When your child is born and when your spouse dies, trust the Lord. When you know the greatest happiness of your life and when you're in the deepest pit of despair you've ever known, trust the Lord. In every situation of your life and every day, trust the Lord. This is what silent confidence is. Because the Lord truly is all you have. He's all you have. That's what the rest of the psalm is telling you. He's all you have. Look, look at verse 9. The, those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. So the, those who are lowly, those who are poor, they're a breath. Those who are rich, uh, they've got a lot, but it's just a delusion because they're a breath as well because life is just a vapor. There's a differentiation there. It's a delusion because they really think in their high estate that they're not just a breath. That they think their money and prosperity prolongs their life and gives them security, but it doesn't. There's no hope in that. When you take the lowest state and the highest state, it says, and you put them on a scale, verse 9, you put them on a balance, you, you take the lowest state and the highest state, you put them on a balance on the same side, literally nothing happens. It doesn't move if you put them on a scale together. It, they, 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 they don't move it. They're that insignificant. 
you can't put your hope in your life or in how good your life could be. If your life was the exact way you wanted it, it wouldn't be worth putting your hope in because notice verse 10. Put no trust in extortion. Don't set your hope on robbery. If riches increase, don't set your heart on them. If you had all the money in the world, don't set your heart on that. Even if you cheated the system and got all that you wanted, there's still no hope, there's still no confidence, there's still no security in that. There's no single one of us in this room whose life could not change in a moment this afternoon by a phone call or by a pain in our abdomen that starts. Don't put your confidence in your life. You must put your confidence in something more steadfast than that, in something that doesn't change. Put your confidence in the Lord. He does not change. We put our confidence, verses 11 and 12, in the Lord. God has spoken. All the power belongs to God. He is, all the steadfast love belongs to God. He's going to render to a man according to his work. Our hope is found in him. We trust in him at all times. God has the power to do anything, and he loves you with an infinite love. He has power to do what is best for you always, and he loves you infinitely and wants that for you. So he will act for you. So trust in him at all times. So how did Jesus stand there facing down those enemies, Pilate and all the Jews out in the courtyard, how did he stand there trusting with a silent confidence, not moved at all? Because he trusted in his father at all times. He trusted his father at all times because he knew there would be times when, when you and I didn't, when you were shaken and when I am shaken, when you struggle to hold fast and when I struggle to hold fast, Jesus went to the cross to die because we don't trust God at all times. We don't obey Psalm 62. He stood there confidently because we don't. We fall short. We sin. We don't hold fast to him. We fail verses 5 through 8 all the time. We don't pour our heart out before him. We don't trust in him at all times. We don't even view him as our rock and our fortress the majority of the time. He did because we don't. This psalm closes, the, it closes with that final line. God is going to render to a man according to his work. He, he's going to render to you and render to me according to our work. And we've already established we fail at Psalm 62. He's going to render to us according to that. If he renders to me according to my works, I'm in trouble since I fall short. I am not 100% faithful to him. So... I am not 100% faithful to him, so I have trouble coming to me if he's going to render to me according to my work. But that's why Jesus came. That's why he stood confidently, so that you could not be counted by your works, and I could not be counted by mine, but by his. If you try to trust in your own works, you will not make it. You are a breath and a delusion. But he stood with silent confidence to the point of death so that you could place your life under his and not your own and be rendered safe so that he could be your rock and your salvation and your fortress 
so that you could trust in him at all times. You cannot do that without Jesus and him going before you. So, as this psalm screams to you today, wherever you're at, whatever situation is trying to shake you, trust in him at all times and pour out your heart before him. Let's pray and do that now. Father, give us this silent confidence day to day. May we not put our hope in how much faith we have, but in the God that we have our faith in. He's the steadfast one. He's the powerful one. He's, he's the one who stands strong. God, I pray that you would help us to look to Jesus. I thank you that he stood with confidence so that because he, he knew that we wouldn't, that we, would, that we would fall, that we would fail, that we would not trust you. He trusted you for us. So give us strength in his name. Help us to run to you. Help us to find our life in him and make us more like him. In Jesus' name, amen.